Five months and millions of dollars later, the Cyber Ninjas have completed their election audit of Arizona's Maricopa County. And today, we'll be discussing the gaping areas of irregularities revealed by the report. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. So as someone who spent years as a journalist, it stings when major media is as deceptive as it was with the Arizona audit report. I suppose I should get used to it. Yeah, the report confirmed the ballots were counted accurately. They got that right. But how come legacy media didn't report the part of the audit that raises serious questions about the validity of those counted ballots? Tens of thousands of questions, to be precise. To make more sense of the report, I spoke to an election expert. We impact a number of issues revealed in the audit, what other states can learn from this audit going forward, and how you can keep this momentum of election restoration going. Here is the interview. Joining me to discuss the audit and other election topics is Kurt Hyde. He is an election expert who has studied, who has written about, and he has worked on elections for decades. Kurt, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. So the Arizona audit, by all major media accounts, appears to have confirmed that the ballots were counted correctly in November and that all election fraud talk is dubious. They're having a heyday with this, as you may know. So is this an accurate depiction of the Arizona audit? I really have uh, some serious doubts as to whether or not the auditors really uh, were allowed to go as far as they wanted to go with their audit. Some of the things that, uh, that they wanted uh, to look at, one of the things uh, that they had said that uh, there was a subpoena and that the Maricopa County was to provide access to all original paper ballots, including but not limited to early ballots, election day ballots and provisional ballots, and ballots returned to the county as undeliverable. And they said that uh, they did not get access to these things. And that really concerns me right there alone. I mean, that, that, that one particular issue right there, if they could not get access to the ballots that were returned as undeliverable, that makes me, that makes me uh, very concerned about those states that are going to all mail-in balloting. Because you see what they call mailing a ballot to every voter isn't really mailing a ballot to every voter. It's mailing a ballot to every entry on the voter registration list. And Judicial Watch has reported uh, uh, quite a few counties where the number of people registered to vote exceeds the number of people eligible to vote even in those counties. And when you mail these things out, they're supposed to be um, non-forwardable. If the if these ballots are mailed to the wrong address, they're supposed to be returned. And uh, right away, right there, I'm going to say that not only does it give some doubts regarding the Arizona uh, vote totals, but it also spread, it also makes me doubt whether or not it's a wise move uh, to go to, well, actually, I've, I've been against it all along, uh, going out to, um, to all mail-in balloting. Right. We have, and, and to see that 
these people would be promised access to all the ballots that were returned as undeliverable and then to say they didn't get them. So what does that mean did undeliverable? Did they not show up to people's houses or were they not able to send them out? How does that work? Undeliverable means the post office went to the address mm -hmm. that was on the voter registration and either the address didn't exist or, or it's known that there's no person known to live at that address. That means the post office could not deliver them. Right. And so they have to send them back. Now, some, if I send you a letter and you move in the meantime, that can be forwarded. But these ballots are not supposed to be forwarded. They're supposed to be undeliverable. They're supposed to go back to the people who mailed them. Did they go back? We don't know. Oh, so is that what the audit found is that we don't know what happened with those undeliverable ballots? Well, they found out that they didn't know. This is what they said. We were told that we were going to get such things, access to such things as ballots returned to the county as undeliverable. And then it said in the audit report, it said, since these items were not provided, this work not able to be completed. And what was the number of that, the undeliverables? I don't believe they even were given the number of oh. them, how many were undeliverable. That means the, the voter rosters, right? They're off. Is that one of the indications too? It's a pot. At this point, we're not dealing with indications. We're dealing with possibilities. Now, the answer is <laughs> now a lot of things do become possible. It's possible that quite a few of the people who are on the voter registration lists are phantom voters. Okay. All right. So, so that's already one way in which the count, even though it was done correctly, there seems to be a whole lot before that that is off. In the report, the Cyber Ninjas had mentioned that the audit discovered 263,000 corrupt ballot images. What does that mean and how significant is that? Well, these ballot images are the first step in having an optical scan ballot count. These are the, uh, these are the ballot images. These are the things that show the way I voted and the way you voted. And if one of us filled in the circle almost completely and the other one just drew a big x inside of every circle that would show up these are the ballot images these are the things that people look at when the ballots go to adjudication you know when they decide to determine the intent of the voter stuff like that these ballot images are then changed into what's called a cast vote record they're actually they're not changed i should say excuse me they are read by the computer and then they go into a thing called the cast vote record. The cast vote record is really just a bunch of numbers and commas, typically. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all set to be read by a computer. That every time it gets to a comma, that's, that these are comma delimited numbers. Every time it gets to that comma, it now knows that it has read a number. And based on its position, it knows where to send it. But that's the, that's the beginning step in counting the ballots. And I would like to know... If 263,000 ballot images were either uh, corrupt, or, corrupt or unreadable, then I'd like to know how those 263 ballots got counted. Were these images not corrupt? And were they readable on election night? If so, okay, that's how they got their ballot totals. But what happened to them? Why would they now be corrupt, let's say? Okay. Right. And, and then what we're all talking about are all ballots that have been counted, correct? Like the, the audit looked at 
counted ballots. Everything we're talking about has been counted, correct? Right. Yes, right. that's what they looked at. And they said, based on these counts, these counts come out very close to what we had. Right. Okay. Uh, 263,000 corrupt ballot images. That sounds really concerning, obviously. Do we have any more information on that? Because you said, I'd like to know uh, how, if indeed they were eventually counted. There's there's a possibility they were eventually, or they weren't always corrupt. Is that what you're saying? Well, again, I don't know. Uh, all we know is that they discovered that they are corrupt now. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is that if those ballot images are the first step in in the counting of the optical scan ballot equipment, um, if we can't read them now, how did we possibly process them on election night? Now you've been involved in, in election night. You've, you've, you've been a lot involved in elections. What is the significance of this? Is, is it possible that they were countable on election night and what did they get uh, shuffled around or, uh, and then they became corrupt? To, to, to not be readable anymore, you know, a year later is. Or, or, or six or seven months later, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even that. Is that, is that possible? Is that, have you seen that is, or, I mean, that doesn't seem like a long time. That is correct. I'm just at a loss for exactly what <laughs> it's only possibilities at this point, but what happened? Were they okay on election night and did something corrupt them now? Did somebody, come by with a big magnet or did somebody deliberately corrupt them or right. did uh, what happened? Th these are questions that need to be answered. These are questions that need to be looked at. Right. Other issues from what I understand is that there were more ballots cast than were received. Uh, there were voters casting ballots in multiple counties and there were ballots cast from unverified addresses. Was that mentioned in the report? That was all mentioned in the report, right? Yes, those things were mentioned in the report. Uh, I think in some of those cases, they referred them as possibilities that the, that the same person cast more than one ballot from multiple counties. And they did that by getting an exact match on the person's um, first name, middle name, last name, and birth year. They didn't have the exact birth date, but they get the birth year. Mm -hmm. And they said that the possibilities of finding this, um, even with fairly common names, is very rare and it should have been looked into. So another, uh, another thing I found interesting was it said there that in the report, 21,273 ballot images are entirely missing from the forensics images of the election equipment. This means that there are electronic votes recorded, but no actual ballot images that correspond to the votes. This makes it impossible to fully validate the results or confirm that the election management system was not tampered with. So to be clear, every ballot has to have a paper trail, right? Or should have a corresponding paper ballot, correct? That is correct. There should be a paper trail. And in the case of the optical scan equipment, there is also an electronic trail as well. Now, is this saying, is this part of the audit saying that for 21,273 of those ballots, that was not confirmed? It means there was no electronic trace for them, that they could not. They said that, that there were 21,273 ballot images are missing, so they're not there. There were votes recorded for them, but they could not find the ballot images. Were they deleted? Were they just 
The numbers that were added later, I don't know. Oh, but wow. We know that they say that these valid images are entirely missing from the forensic images of the election equipment. This is, happens to be twice the margin of victory. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's because the margin he, of victory for the state was 10,500 approximately. And this is about 21,000. This is building up to be uh, quite something. There's also another part where it talks about um, that one topic that nobody's supposed to talk about, which is the Dominion software. The audit says that uh, points out that they basically they upload or updated the software the federal law, correct me if I'm wrong, says they weren't, they weren't supposed to or prohibited them from, from updating. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I, I'm looking at the report right now, and uh, there, there were new, they call them EXE packages. What that means is new programs, new program executables, as they're called, uh, were either updated or modified. There were dynamic link libraries. Those are the DLLs. Uh, all of these mean that that the software apparently was updated. Again, um, they noticed that the audits that were done by the people who did the auditing at Maricopa County in the past uh, just hadn't mentioned that. So no matter who the supplier of the software was, it does appear that there were some updates of the software that were not, that just, just weren't, they just weren't recorded and uh, this happens a lot all over the country. And a lot of people who are in the computer field really don't, uh, are, are really quite critical of these things simply because you approve software and then the company makes a few changes to it and it doesn't necessarily get approved again. And they're wondering, you know, did somebody get something approved and then change it into something that shouldn't have been approved? Mm -hmm. it, it's all, it's a thing that people raise as questions. Yeah. I view this as something worth noting, and unless I would see something more, I wouldn't worry about it too much more because to me, the other problems that I was reading about yeah. are, are the ones that are much more concerning to me. Okay, so this isn't as indicative as something possibly nefarious going on as some of the other things we were talking about. Yes, at least in my opinion. And this is a matter of opinion. <laughs> there are people with valid opinions who will disagree with me and their opinions are valid too. I'll right. And staying on that topic, one of the things, another thing the report talks about is the connectivity of the system, the election system to the internet. So for instance, in the report, it says the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors has repeatedly stated that the network connecting the election slash voting systems is an isolated network with no ability to connect to the internet. And then they say this definitely has proven that is not the case. There were hundreds of connections to public internet sites recovered from the unallocated areas of the hard drives. Is this, this sounds somewhat concerning or is, is this overplayed as well, in your opinion? This one would be a little less overplayed. <laughs> this does show that there was, it, it really shows me that well, like they say, there were uh, network components that were around, and it says there were uh, there was there, there actually was uh, communication uh, with other sites on the internet that, were, and they found it in some of the log files. So the equipment itself did have some degree of connectivity to the internet, and that obviously opens it up to being 
hacked. It's possible. Again, there's nothing from what I understand. There's nothing in here saying that there's any proof of hacking. But if hacking were to happen, it would obviously need to be connected to the Internet. Right. So there you have uh, exactly what it says is that. So they've been telling us that there was no Internet access from that equipment. We have not found that there is. I don't know that they found anything more than that, but the fact that people were assured, given those assurances, that there was no internet access, and then to turn around and look through some of these log files and discover that there was, it's just another reason why we can't just take that comparison of a couple different numbers and say, well, gee, those two numbers came out real close. But, but you're right, that, that shows that there was some internet access with that equipment and uh, after the public was assured that no such thing could could happen. There are a number of times in this report where it talks about Maricopa County not exactly helping <laughs> in this audit. In fact, in some instances, it seems like it was flat out. Uh, they were flat out impeding it. One of those instances is where it talks about the papers where they were trying to, I guess, verify or validate some of the ballots. And so one of the things they realized is that the papers that the company that the county was contracting with or working with to produce uh, paper ballots had had used a number of different types of papers. And so the audit, the cyber ninjas are saying this makes it difficult to to verify the legitimacy of some of these. And so they went to the CEO of the company and they said, hey, you know, they wanted to ask questions so they could further help that. And the CEO responded. It seems like he was saying that he was about to help until he was told by the county not to. Why would the county do that? Why, why? I know of no good, honest reason for that. None. There is no good reason for that. There is no excuse for allowing that. I, this part of it was under what they called Section 5.7.1 Audit Interference. You know, as as far as I know, there was about $150,000 in public money and the rest of about something like $6 million was private donations. $6 million? That's the cost. Um, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I was reading the Washington Post and it looked like that was probably the amount of private money that was donated to do this. And then when we run into this thing, because one of the concerns that was raised uh, by the Trump people was that they believed that some counterfeit ballots had been fed into the machines. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, if counterfeit ballots get read into the machines, then the number of ballots that are counted versus the totals that are out there, they will come out okay, like what we saw in the audit. But then you would say, but are were the ballots really, really good ballots or were they counterfeit ballots and what they used um through this corporation that where, where, where they buy their, their the paper for making mm -hmm. these paper ballots they refer to it as like an 80 pound paper and uh what uh, right here in the report it says at this time 10 different papers have been found several of these paper stocks include paper with the weight from 20 to 30 pounds and this is, though, uh, generally speaking, for ballots, you use what's called an 80-pound paper. But to have had 10 different kinds of paper in there 
And they had to leave that as an unanswered question. And the reason is because as you have already stated, but I'll just kind of restate it, was that they went to the CEO of the company who supplied them with the paper. Uh, um, and, and to the best of their knowledge, it certainly looks like he was the only one who was doing it, or at least the only one that they knew of. And so they said, we want to talk to you about this paper. Mm -hmm. And the man said, yes, I will indeed talk to you. And then he said, uh, uh, he then responded to the email and said that Maricopa County instructed him that vendors, even private companies, should not speak with auditors. That's an interference in the audit. How can you then turn around and say, hey, look at these beautiful totals. We told you that, that, that you people were doing a sham. Yeah. Well, if it was a sham, why were you getting in touch with some of these people and saying, don't talk to the auditors? If you want to prove and settle a settle the, the issue and say, look, there's these are dubious claims, then you would let the the audits already happening. Apparently, it's mostly funded by private entities, people, right? Uh, Arizona, probably Arizona citizens, maybe outsiders, too, who are interested in, yes. in this. Nevertheless, and also uh, volunteers volunteering their time. Right, right. You would, and I you, talked to some of them and they had non-disclosure. We'll talk about the non-disclosure agreements later. Why don't you finish on your topic and then we'll go to mine, no, okay? It just, it just seems like a strange thing to do because you would just want to, you want to have it settled. Anyway, uh, are there any other in, uh, instances that uh, in the report of interference by apparently the county? Uh, I don't have so much of the interference, but there were quite a few uh, parts of the reports where it said, we were supposed to get information from the government on these things, mm -hmm. and then we never got them. There were there were uh, there were uh, numerous instances where information or things that were supposed to be given to them was not given to them. And speaking of of, of withholding information, tell us what what is it about? You were talking about those non disclosure from the citizens. As you know, I am a major league advocate of openness in the, elect, in the election process. Voters marking their secret ballots, that should be a secret, okay? There is also, there are a couple other small secrets that should also be allowed. And that is that some people are allowed to register to vote, but this should be a small number and that number, at least the number of them should be published. And these are police officers, judges, and other people in the law enforcement agencies where having their names and addresses on publicly available documents uh, would be the sort of thing we wouldn't want people in prison to sit there for 10 years and say, I wonder how am I going to get even with John Jones at what's a, such a, such an address and to have that. Mm -hmm. But other than that, everything else should be done in the open. And for these people to be working under non-disclosure agreements, they weren't allowed to talk about what they had discovered. Now, to me, and, and, and now when the report comes out, the report comes out on, I think it was September the 24th, okay? Mm -hmm. And this thing got started, I believe, uh, actually, it, it actually had its genesis back in December or January, but it really got going in earnest on April the 23rd. So okay. here's this thing, for five months, we, are, we have non-disclosure agreements. At the same time that the report comes out, now we start learning about things like audit interference. We start learning, oh, good grief. We wanted to talk to somebody about the paper and he was told you're not supposed to talk to the auditors. There was information that was requested from certain government agencies. 
and those requests, the people just did not supply them. They just didn't allow them. And certain other things, those things should, could have been and should have been in the news all along. Because then perhaps there could have, for one thing, it could have been an, an improvement in the audit. If the public had known prior to September the 24th, if they had known that there were people from the Maricopa County, government employees who were telling somebody at who's like the CEO of a company that supplies the paper for the paper ballots, that he shouldn't talk to auditors, there could have been some public pressure brought on those people, government employees in Maricopa County to say, why on earth are you interfering with this audit? And that would have been the news. Now they can hide all that news by just saying, well, you know, we compared a couple numbers and they're still real close and let it go with that. And, and you, you know, you have to read over a hundred pages of report now to get all these things. And they should have been news all along. As soon as these, as soon as any government agency had failed to provide information or had actively interfered with the auditors, mm -hmm. that should have been news that should have been on the news broadcast. There should have been a video of that on the TV news saying, well, you know, we're all hoping to get to the bottom of this thing, but there are, you know, but there are people who are telling, uh, you know, people with knowledge not to talk to the auditors. That should have been on the news back whenever that happened. Did that happen in June? Did that happen in July? That should have been on the news already long before the report was completed. And, and so it doesn't sound like this report, anyone who, who reads it, who perhaps peruses or goes past the mainstream narrative, it doesn't sound like this has solidified or, or settled anything for, for people who have thought all along that something terribly wrong has gone. In fact, it sounds like it kind of reinforces it. Uh, is, is that what it did to you? I mean, you, you sound like an object, a reasonable person. You, you just wanted the data, right? Uh, you wanted the yes. data to perhaps uh, make a decision. So you got some data, it sounds like. Uh, we're left with a lot of questions. What would you say is the the most concerning? We, we spoke about a bunch of discrepancies. Which one, and it doesn't even have to be the one anyone we spoke to, which, which discrepancy that you read in the report, in the entire report, would you say is the most concerning to you? There are probably a couple. I haven't figured out which one. Uh, one was the unnecessary secrecy, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why the American public did not learn long ago that they should have, that there was non-compliance by government agencies or interference. Uh, another one is the, the approximately, I think it's 263,000 votes for which the ballot images um, are corrupt or missing. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that one, and then the other one that's also very concerning to me, and I'm not, if we ever got to the bottom of this one, it'd be very interesting, and that is the access to the ballots that were put into the U.S. Postal Service mail and then came back as undeliverable. How mm -hmm. many of them were there and what happened to them? Right. Were they just handed to ballot harvesters and said, here, put some signatures on and see if they go through? We don't know. And so all this, all these questions culminate to tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of questionable ballots. So much, is, is, that, is that a correct assessment? So much larger than the obvious 10,000 margin that Joe Biden won the state by. And this is just one county. Am I misrepresenting anything? No, uh, that, that's about what I've been saying. That is, there are concerns that involve numbers much, much greater than 10,500. 
Okay. So, so also these, these apartment and these things should not be unanswered. What should happen? I would say the first thing that has to happen is that uh, I am also disturbed by Senator Fan's letter to the Attorney General of the state because she said in her letter, she had some statement to the effect of, um, and maybe you should investigate where you think it's necessary. I think she should have said right in there, she should not have had about the first page and a half full of legislative agenda items because that was for her to send to other legislators. And then the very end of it, there's at the final paragraph, there's this little sentence saying, maybe you ought to look into some of these things. Instead, she should have put in that letter, we need direct investigations now. All of the information that was subpoenaed and then not supplied, we want you to investigate into that. Anybody who interfered, whoever interfered, with the, with the auditors by telling people don't talk to the auditors. Those are the people that should be, in, that, that should be the investigation right now to find out who they were and find out why did they say that and remove them from off, remove them from their jobs. Do you have any idea if uh, there's any effort on the part of anyone or any group in Arizona trying to get an investigation based on this audit? Not that I know of. I think that's the next step. Now, will they do it or will they think that Senator Fan is going to do it? But based on her letter to the attorney general, I don't see her really picking up the ball and carrying it. So where does that leave this? There have been calls for decertification. Would, would this merit a decertification or would you need further uh, validation? Some answers to some of the questions, because it seems like in a lot of cases, this just, oh, this just raised more questions. Then it answered. I think it is. I, I think it actually is grounds for decertification. I think there's enough evidence here that it does call for decertification. But very clearly, I believe the attorney general of the state of Arizona should be instructed, if he doesn't already do it himself, but immediately to start looking into particularly government employees who either did not supply information that they were supposed to under subpoena or if they talked to other people and said, hey, don't talk to the auditors, don't help them. I, I think decertification is possible. And I also believe that the, uh, that the investigation should now go to the government employees who, had, uh, who have a bad track record in what's happened in the audit. Now, do you mean decertification is possible or warranted or both? <laughs> I think it's warranted. Uh, how do you go about doing it? My hunch is, uh, in fact, I have studied quite a bit about American elections. I've, I've gone all the way back to the 1600s in there, and I have never seen a, an actual decertification of, uh, of an electoral, a, a slate of electors to the Electoral College. It, it, it has never been done before. Mm -hmm. This has never happened with a presidential uh, race. And so if this were to get to that point, is there the protocol to me if looking at the constitution of the united states if enough states were to decertify their electors that would not remove the president from office but it would be called but it would be grounds for impeachment now oh. of course with nancy pelosi and the democrats in charge of the house impeachment is because because that is the constitutional process for removing a president once he's in office 
that one would be high crimes or misdemeanors, and mm -hmm. therefore he could be impeached. But would, would Nancy Pelosi want to do that? And the other thing is, who would take his place? <laughs> well, and, and we're talking about the time frame. I mean, again, it took five months just to do this audit. And to get a decertification, Arizona enough would not be enough. You would need, I guess, I don't know, Georgia, Wisconsin, maybe. You need a, a number of big states, but Georgia would help Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania would be the big three. Right, right. And so taking into consideration the time frame that it took just to get this audit, which is somewhat inconclusive, but at least raises enough questions, you'd be through a, a, an entire term, I would think, at that rate. Well, yes and no, but there is something that I have done. It was in the uh, August John Birch Society Bulletin. And that's a thing called the Comprehensive Audit Recount. Mm -hmm. There is a much faster and less expensive way to get a good look at to whether or not you can um, uh, uh, trust the vote totals that you see. Mm -hmm. And that is by letting each candidate in the, in the uh, contests that are big enough, like let's say for Congress, for president, statewide, for mayors of a big city like Phoenix, Arizona, or Tucson, Arizona, something like that, where you can say to, uh, to, to somebody who ran for Congress, um, anybody who got at least 10% of the vote is entitled to pick one precinct to have that precinct looked at in depth. And it would include the complete count of all the ballots, just like we saw in Maricopa County, but it would also include at candidate expense contacting each of the voters who voted to find out, are we going to an empty lot? Other form of non-existent mm, address? Right. Are we, and, and, and this is also another one because see, I had a conversation with one of the persons involved in the Arizona audit and he went to dinner in a restaurant and somebody recognized him because they knew who he was. He's actually a former secretary of state of the state of Arizona. And this employee of the restaurant said, sir, I've been looking for someone like you to talk to. When I went to vote on election day, somebody had already voted using my name. And so I didn't get to vote. And I imagine he's not the only one. Uh... That is correct. And you see, now there was also an attempt to look for that in here. And, and it did show up in the audit report, okay? And I'm kind of looking for it right now, okay? Um, here, this was on, on their volume two. They had talked about stuff that they had done on their report. They had a thing called a data analysis, okay? Mm -hmm. So they were looking for, they said, we were looking for the kind of things that might help to identify duplicate voters, voters that don't really exist, voters who moved, dead voters, and other classes that might disqualify a voter. This information was then originally planned to be utilized to target three entire precincts to fully canvas. Now, you see, that's the thing that I have in the, in, in the comprehensive audit recount, is that you don't try to do 2.1 million votes. That's mm. too much to do, at, at least for a starter. But notice into here, the, the, uh, the auditors wanted to go to three precincts to canvas them and actually knock on the doors, contact the people and say, mm -hmm. you know, and however, 
somebody, and this is another thing I'd like to see investigated by the attorney general, who called off the canvassing. All we know is that supposedly the Senate did it. But with the canvassing on hold, these three precincts have not been canvassed. But the auditors wanted to go to three precincts and just knock on the doors and see if the people exist. Right. Or these things, such as the thing that was reported to me mm -hmm. by, the, uh, by one of the people involved in the audit, where he had said somebody had gone to him, recognized him as a former Secretary of State of the state of Arizona, and they just said to him, when I went to vote, somebody already voted using my name. And if you go to those people, then you'll find out, well, it says here I voted, but I didn't really vote. Or like I say, yeah, people will tell you I went to vote, but mm -hmm. somebody already voted using my name. Maybe that's in there. We don't know. Right. But that was not done. Now, what can we do going forward? Um, obviously, we want to address these issues. How would we go about that? You know, we have a project that you provided uh, most of the expertise, the the Restore Election Integrity Action Project. Can you explain some of the issues that, you know, in your years you've discovered? I, I think one of the misconceptions is perhaps that in 2020 is when a lot of this took place. But as you've discovered and you've written about and have talked about, these issues uh, that make elections vulnerable have existed for a long time. Can, can you explain what, what states need to do and how people can help uh, get involved in that and, and start restoring these elections? Well, one thing they should do is to get, the, get in touch with the John Birch Society and the Restore Election Integrity Project and start studying so they can learn the right ways to do it. Like, for example, Texas passed a voter integrity law. The legislature passed it uh, just, I guess, about a month or so ago. But yet, if you'll take a look at that law, the law that they passed does not really improve election integrity in Texas. And the same thing with Georgia. Georgia passed a law that did more harm than good, simply because many people just don't know. So that would be the people need to be educated. But the best source of that information is the John Birch Society's Restore Election Integrity. That is clearly there. But now, as far as going forward, right now, these people want to, there are many people who want to do forensic audits in all 50 states. But we should learn from the mistakes in Arizona. They should absolutely insist on the canvassing. That would probably be the number one concern that I would have. Because whoever took away the ability to do the canvassing just took away the ability to, to, to really make sure that the ballots were really cast by, by valid voters. Right. And the other thing that I would recommend, they look into the comprehensive audit recount because it's a lot less expensive and it's a lot faster. The comprehensive audit recount, which, I have, which, which I'm saying is a good idea, I'm, I'm suggesting it, I'm the suggester of it, it is designed to be done in every election and to be done in less than two weeks. It's designed to be completed before the election is certified. Wow. How's that? That's a lot better than spending $6 million in five months. <laughs> and, and well, and uh, it sounds like there's hope for, for finding and uh, for writing even this election uh, based on some of the things you said, some ways we can do it quicker instead of 
of, you know, trying to do an entire states. We could take precincts and whatnot, and then we can move forward by getting involved. And for instance, you mentioned our, our election integrity project. Uh, you could go to that jbs.org forward slash vote, uh, where we not, we provide information, right? we provide information about what makes, uh, what makes elections vulnerable. And then we actually, we include a way that you can also build a election integrity committee. I think you would agree that that's one of the better ways citizens can get involved, form an election integrity committee. Part of it includes pressuring, pressuring state legislators to, to start canvassing or to start basically pushing for election integrity in their states. Most of this can and, be done within the states, right? And also, yes, and also, if they do start a forensic audit in their state, make sure that it is not done under these non-disclosure agreements. Have the whole thing done in public. Have it yeah. all done in public so that if you have government officials interfering with the, the auditors talking to people, let's let that be on the nightly news while this thing is happening. Don't let it get buried in a report so that other people can just talk about the, the numbers and that's all. Well, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it out here. Uh, we we've touched on a lot. I think it's a lot for people to digest. There's a lot of numbers flowing around, and and of course the the media jumped on it and said everything's good because the count the count matched. But it sounds to me like what happened is it's possible that a bunch of illegal ballots were counted, or illegal votes were counted correctly. Is that yes? That's very possible. Right. You know, one thing is to make sure that the that the computerized equipment did what it was supposed to. And clearly, if that, does, you know, that is an area where things might go wrong. But even if that isn't what went wrong, if large numbers of ballots were cast that should not have been cast, that needs to be caught by doing the canvassing. Well, Kurt, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I mean, uh, perhaps we'll do a follow up. Thank you for having me. Have you ever heard someone say, the system's broken? Sure you have. Well, it's not true. America's founders created a brilliant governing system that prevents us from having kings, queens, dictators, and even czars. We the people can replace every elected official in a span of six years if we so choose. Here at the John Birch Society, we believe the only way to liberty, prosperity, and national sovereignty is not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adheres to them. The reason we have a ballooning, reckless, and corrupt government is because elected officials aren't following the Constitution. The John Birch Society is principled, coordinated, effective activism. We believe the Constitution is the solution. Join JBS and change America. Visit JBS.org or call 1-800-JBS-USA-1 to get involved. That's jbs.org.